This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to another episode of the Diabetes Knowledge into Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. This series is CME accredited and this episode is accredited for up to 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. So to claim your credits, go to diabetes.knowledgeintopractice.com to complete a pre and post activity assessment. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who've had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. GLP-1 receptor agonists are a class of agents used to help manage type 2 diabetes, but heterogeneity across clinical trial data for different regimens means that patient characteristics should determine choice of agent as well as dosing. To explore tailoring the selection of agent and dosing regimen, we're joined today by Dr. Harpreet Bajaj. Dr. Bajaj is a community-based endocrinologist at LMC Healthcare in Brampton, Ontario. He's also chair of the Diabetes Canada Clinical Practice Guidelines Steering Committee and a research associate at Leadership Sinai Centre for Diabetes at the Mount Sinai Hospital. But first we'll review the latest literature and key differences between the potential use of some agents. Available GLP-1 receptor agonist agents currently recommended by the 2022 American Diabetes Association or ADA Standards of Care include once-weekly extended-release exenatide, twice-daily exenatide, once-daily liraglutide, lixisenatide and dulaglutide, once-weekly subcutaneous semaglutide and once-daily oral semaglutide. Initiation of GLP-1 receptor agonists in type 2 diabetes is recommended by the 2022 ADA standards of care, normally following metformin and lifestyle interventions if the patient's priority treatment goals include a need for high-efficacy glycemic control or weight loss, or if hyperglycemia needs to be minimised. Prescribing information for each agent also includes regimens for intensification of therapies if additional glycemic control is required. Certain agents are also recommended when aiming to prevent cardiovascular and kidney outcomes due to data showing that they're protective against major adverse cardiovascular events, or MACE, which include cardiovascular death, non-fatal myocardial infarction and non-fatal stroke. The ADA 2022 Standards of Care also provide guidance on GLP-1 receptor agonist use in this setting, identifying dulaglutide, liraglutide and subcutaneous semaglutide as having beneficial effects on atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease outcomes, whereas lixisenatide and once-weekly exenatide have a neutral effect. Liraglutide, subcutaneous semaglutide and dulaglutide have also been shown to benefit renal endpoints driven by albuminuria outcomes in cardiovascular outcome trials. In the event of reduced estimated glomerular filtration rate, some GLP-1 receptor agonists will require dose adjustment. Out of the available agents, liraglutide and subcutaneous semaglutide are also available in formulations for weight loss. The indications for these formulations differ from those for diabetes in that they're indicated only for use in individuals with either a BMI of at least 30 or a BMI of at least 27, but also in the presence of at least one related comorbid condition, such as hypertension, dyslipidemia, or type 2 diabetes. Importantly, there are differences in the dosage and escalation of these formulations compared with their counterparts indicated for type 2 diabetes. All GLP-1 receptor agonist formulations are subcutaneous injections, except for an oral semaglutide formulation designed for patients averse to this method of administration. Standard dosing information for GLP-1 receptor agonists include methods of administration and potential intensification regimens and can be found in the FDA prescribing information which you can find references for in the episode notes.
However, note that prescribing information may vary across countries, so local regulatory bodies should be consulted. Indications for GLP-1 receptor agonist use in combination with insulin or insulin secretagogues like sulfonylureas also differ, and some agents are not recommended in combination with insulin or specific insulin regimens. For other agents, prescribing information includes precaution of lowering the dose of insulin secretagogues or insulin to reduce risk of hyperglycemia. But how can we best apply this information in the clinic? Let's now start our interview with Dr. Bajaj. His disclosures are available in the episode notes. So firstly, at what stage of type 2 diabetes management would you normally prescribe GLP-1 receptor agonist? So I think uh, that GLP-1 receptor agonists uh, in type 2 diabetes, uh, I think of them as, uh, I think, of statins in dyslipidemia. What I mean by that is that almost all people with the condition of type 2 diabetes need it, uh, as is evident also from the recent uh, ADA-EASD consensus statement. So in our practice, I prescribe GLP-1 receptor agonists at any stage uh, throughout the continuum of type 2 diabetes, whether it's uh, newly diagnosed uh, people, uh, especially those who need weight loss, add on to oral drugs, and also add on to insulin. And I especially um, uh, think about prescribing GLP-1 receptor agonists in those with previous history of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Secondly, how do patient characteristics influence your choice of a GLP-1 receptor agonist agent? A1C is obviously the most uh, important characteristic uh, when I uh, choose uh, um, which uh, GLP-1 receptor agonist to prescribe. How far is the A1C and, uh, uh, and uh, glucose parameters to the targets uh, that I have in mind for an individual patient? but also the excess body weight uh, and how much body weight uh, we, uh, me and the patient uh, agree to, uh, um, to lose to, to get to an ideal body weight is another characteristic. A third characteristic which weighs in my, uh, on my choice, uh, but it's not necessarily a patient characteristic, is the cost and coverage situation, which sadly often determines which uh, GLP-1 receptor agonist I choose. Thank you. And in terms of escalating or adjusting doses for these agents, what are the key criteria to bear in mind? I think the most important um, thing to keep in mind when you're those escalating a GLP-1 receptor agonist uh, is that uh, one size does not fit all. And a slow up titration uh, of the GLP-1 receptor agonist, whichever one you choose, uh, depending on the gastrointestinal tolerability uh, for an individual patient is, is very important. So oftentimes I titrate very slow, uh, even slower than the labeled indication uh, for the dosing for a particular GLP-1 receptor agonist, especially in those patients uh, who complain of nausea, diarrhea, or constipation. But the other thing to keep in mind simultaneously as I up-titrate GLP-1 receptor agonists is to down-titrate medications that can cause uh, hypoglycemia, whether it's uh, SU, sulfonylureas, or insulin. Now, there have been two recent indication updates for semaglutide at higher doses than the one milligram that was previously available, one for type 2 diabetes and one for weight loss. Likewise, for liraglutide, there's also a higher dose available for weight loss, and for dilaglutide, 
there's a 4.5 milligram dose available for additional glycemic control. Who might benefit from these higher doses? Yeah, so as I mentioned, one size does not fit all uh, for GLP-1 receptor agonists. Uh, and this um, uh, flexible dosing kind of uh, helps uh, individualization of uh, therapy uh, for a particular patient who I'm treating. Of course, uh, the desired amount of weight loss plays an important role in how high to increase the dose in a particular patient. But then there are other cues uh, to that um, uh, dose escalation uh, or, the, or the ceiling of the dose as well in terms of uh, a particular patient's uh, perceived appetite suppression, reduction of uh, cravings for glucose and sugars, as well as their gastrointestinal tolerability, uh, which all are equally important um, uh, in terms of uh, dose escalation and the ceiling. These factors, uh, all of them help, help me determine up titration or down titration for that matter um, if, if uh, there is uh, adverse effects uh, of a particular dose for a particular patient. Thank you. And moving on, what's the role of GLP-1 receptor agonists in cardiovascular protection? So clearly, uh, long-term cardiovascular outcome trials, the majority of them uh, with GLP-1 receptor agonists uh, have shown cardioprotection especially in, uh, in people who have a previous history of heterostortic cardiovascular disease, but also in people who have risk factors for cardiovascular disease. So I think uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists uh, clearly uh, should be used in this uh, patient population uh, with a previous history that is secondary prevention uh, for cardiovascular disease and people who have at least two plus uh, risk factors for this, uh, uh, for this complication of type 2 diabetes. And when you're looking at cardiorenal protection, how do you choose between a GLP-1 receptor agonist and an SGLT2 inhibitor? Evidence-based uh, guidelines have evolved over the past uh, seven to eight years uh, when um, mpreg outcome came up uh, with the first SGLT2 inhibitor uh, M- uh, empaglufosin uh, cardiovascular protection story. And of course, that was followed by a leader uh, with liraglutide, a GLP-1 receptor agonist. So it's not uh, necessarily one or the other when I think about uh, cardiovascular protection. It's, uh, it's what fits the patient in front of me uh, is what I'm thinking. Um, GLP-1 receptor agonists uh, potentially uh, have a different mechanism of action uh, in terms of cardiovascular protection because they may act uh, on atherosclerosis, whereas SGLD2 inhibitors more on the volume side of uh, uh, the cardiovascular protection. And hence, uh, if, if the patient uh, in front of me has more of a heart failure type symptoms or history, uh, I do prefer to use uh, SGLD2 inhibitor uh, first, and then I might, uh, in the right patient, add a GLP-1 receptor agonist whereas that could be vice versa for people with uh, purely MI or uh, stroke or peripheral vascular disease, where I prefer to start with a GLP-1 receptor agonist. Uh, The other part of the question around renal protection, um, uh, SGLT2 inhibitor outcome trials uh, in terms of uh, kidney protection are quite uh, robust, and they should be preferred in the population with with, uh, chronic kidney disease. However, there is growing uh, evidence in terms of GLP-1 receptor agonists in terms of uh, nephroprotection as well. And in people with chronic kidney disease, GLP-1 receptor agonists have been 
proven to reduce cardiovascular disease, which is important to consider. I think the other important point to keep in mind in people with low EGFR is that if you're looking for glycemic control, you will not get much glucose lowering with an SGLE2 inhibitor below an EGFR of 60. Uh, so you may actually end up using a combination approach with SGLE2 inhibitor and a GLP-1 receptor agonist in such a patient. And related to that question, does the route of administration play a role in this decision? So because uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists, uh, most of them are injectable, um, uh, that sometimes does play a role. But uh, having said that, once weekly injection with a small needle is not necessarily a barrier for most uh, majority of the patients, I would say, in my practice. Having said that, the other option is an oral semaglutide, oral daily semaglutide, uh, which uh, in those people who don't prefer an injection uh, could be considered. Finally, what would be your takeaway message from this interview? I think the takeaways uh, would be directly from the updated, uh, recently updated ADA-ESD consensus statement, uh, which uh, gives equal footage to weight loss uh, as well as glycemic control uh, and cardiovascular and renal protection in majority of people with type 2 diabetes. And, and we should always keep in mind that diabetes management is much beyond just uh, glycemic control or glucose lowering, but also encompasses uh, weight loss in the majority of people with type 2 diabetes and protection against complications, uh, especially uh, cardiovascular and renal complications of, of this uh, condition. This brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks for joining us. To claim CME credits for listening, go to diabetes.knowledgeintopractice.com where you can find other episodes of the podcast as well as other free educational resources in diabetes. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them to stay up to date and leave us a review or rating to help other people find us. See you next time.